Wonderful. This is great. We are live, we are on. Um, welcome everyone. We hope you're well. Uh, thank you for joining and appreciate your time. Um, it's been a while actually. I forgot to say Happy New Year, but this is end of February. So if this is the first time that you're joining us, then yeah, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining. Um, but to get straight into it, as you can see, we all have our names um, by our pictures as well. But just to elaborate, uh, my name is Gabriel. I just put Gabriel, I just put my surname. My name is Gabriel Ajala. Um, I'm the founder of Africa Sports Unified. Um, and in case you don't know, uh, we are a strategic consulting, uh, event organizing, and intelligence hub for the Pan African sports space. And in a nutshell, our aim and purpose is to help to develop a sustainable uh, Pan African sports ecosystem. So thank you for joining. Um, it's been great so far. I'm really looking forward to, you know, understanding the nuances of esports. Um, the aim of this series, of course, is sports tech and sustainability. Um, tech has a huge imprint across various sectors, but especially in sports. Um, as we've seen with this coming week, Cape Town hosts the Formula E, um, EPRI, which is very exciting. So we thought to cover the huge uh, imprint that technology and sustainability has uh, in sports. Before I introduce my wonderful and much more knowledgeable uh, guests, don't worry, I'll be quiet very soon. Um, I just wanted to give you a few housekeeping rules, right? Um, so the format for today is each panelist will introduce themselves, talk about what they do as individuals and for their respective organizations. And then we'll have a bit of a round table um, discussion amongst the three of them. Um, and at the end, we'll, be, we'll have an opportunity for some questions. So if you do have any questions, then please feel free to uh, post them in the comment section. And for sure, we'll ask them uh, to our guests. Try not to make it too hard. No, I'm joking. But yeah, feel free to drop your questions in the comment section. Um, yeah, and then we'll round up. And so just to introduce our guests, as you can see already, we have Ade Jinodo from Gamer. I'm very excited to hear from them. He's the head of data and marketing. We have Shaya Owalabi uh, from, hey Ade, <laughs> um, from the AEDF, part of the Global Esports Federation, the African Division. And then we have our wonderful Anyeka all the way down from South Africa joining us and she's a, a lawyer. She'll let us know the ins and outs and the fine prints of things. So I guess to get into it, um, I will start with Ade. Ade, thank you so much for joining. Um, really appreciate your time. Um, pleasure. Pleasure to be I won't talk too much about Gamer, but Gamer are really, how can I say, outliers uh, in the space in terms of what they're doing uh, with esports, engaging with the youth, um, even to the extent, and I'll, I'll probably actually this in a bit more detail as well, even from your still infancy stage, but I mean, it's wonderful news that I think Gamer were a recipient of the one of the Google, Google Foundations, Google Black Foundations, where they received investment to, you know, pump into the ecosystem for esports, but also technology technology as well in terms of supporting Gamer. Um, but Eddie, I guess from your perspective, I guess, you know, if you can just elaborate a bit more um, on your role um, within Gamer. 
Okay. Um, thank you so much, Gabriel. Um, I think you've done, a, first off, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm alongside um, Onyeka and Shayo as well. Um, I think I'm really excited for the conversations we're going to have. Um, they're well overdue. Um, mm -hmm. Like you said, it's it's the industry is still in its infancy stage, so there's a lot of things that needs to be done for the ecosystem as a whole. Um, yep. Just going into detail, um, I think it's a two-faced question, if I'm correct, what Gamer mm -hmm. is and what my role is. Correct. Okay, fantastic. Um, so in essence, um, what we've done with, um, or what we are, what we like to call ourselves is we are the enablers for the gaming and esports ecosystem in Africa. Um, of course, as you would know, that would take several forms and could take several shapes. Um, mm -hmm. The best way for us to be able to do that was by attacking it through technology. Um, so we've been able to build infrastructure, um, build technology infrastructure to make access to tournaments and just game activities and events easier for the key players in the African ecosystem. Um, so in essence, I'm not going into big details as to what Gamer is, um, because I mean, as you said, it's early, so we can't necessarily share too much of the juice. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to scale, um, but in its simplest term, um, what we are is um, a vehicle to enable the African gaming and esports ecosystem. Um, so we just want to aggregate everyone into a simple place where everything is possible and every growth and activity and engagement between all the players is feasible. Um, for my role, um, for the most part, just like it says, um, I, I think data and marketing are sort of like very symbiotic. There is no way you can improve marketing strategies and marketing campaigns or really understand what, for any product, as you would say, um, understand what the intended user wants, um, how you create and craft the product to fit that need, then how you also sell it mm -hmm. to them. Um, so in essence, uh, what I do a gamer is sell. <laughs> I understand our audience. I understand what um, key drivers for them in terms of decisions they make. Um, in this context, what games they play, uh, why they play particular games. So that's where the data side comes into it. Why they play particular games, what times they play particular games. So how do you then utilize that information to target the audience? Um, and build yeah. particular products and assets. Yeah. So yeah, that's it in essence. No, I, um, I love that. Um, and a follow-up question for what you just said in terms of your role. <clears throat> and you know, I was so keen to for you to join because oftentimes, especially on content, well, let's start, it's two, two phases here, yeah. Engaging with the youth and just engaging with Africa as a whole, a content with 54 countries, um, it's hard to do. And in your role, you mentioned about understanding the audience. How key is that and has that been for not just yourself, but for your organization, Game Art, to grow, especially, again, considering the, the age of the content in Africa with the youth who are looking for opportunities? You know, how important is that and to really understand that, not just from Game Art, but I guess for people on the continent or people who want to come in and understand, you know, the nuances um, in the sports industry there? Okay, um, so it's a fantastic question. Um, and it's particularly why um, I exist in Gamer. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so for the most part, prior to when we launched and um, created the, the gamer product in itself, yeah. um, what we understood was there's literally no data. Mm-hmm. There's literally nothing as to what the market is like, um, what games people are playing, what games they're buying. Um, when you look at it and you go to like um, PlayStation, Sony's website, or you go to Xbox's website, or even particular gaming websites, for the most part, the African oriented data is mostly Northern Africa, and it's very little, and yeah. the Middle East. And they just gulp them together. So there's little to understand, particularly as to what exactly the people in Sub-Saharan Africa, Southern Africa, even I can say the North as well, are really mm-hmm. playing or buying. Um, and that, we can go into the whole conversation as to the supply chain system, logistics, and how that is easy, um, and how that enables tracking to be better. Um, but that's not the case for the African continent. Um, so it was a main challenge, um, and it's one of the groundwork uh, we are doing, um, just to make sure we can aggregate in simplest terms, um, how we do and how we try to understand our audience, um, I think mm-hmm. social media is a fantastic tool um, for all businesses. Um, there's a lot of data and information on activities. Um, so I like to say this a lot, marketing is experimentation. Yeah. Uh, and data is sort of experimentation as well. Uh, you try and you see what works and you collect feedback. There is no can't put enough emphasis on feedback loops to understand yeah. what's working and what isn't. Um, so that informs sort of your strategy as to what you should do. So for the most part, social media was very vital for us in understanding, okay, this is how we should scale. This is how we should launch the product that is Gamer when we first started. Um, but you cannot forego the importance of ground work yeah. as we have grown um yeah. there's 56 57 countries now um in the african continent um there's only so much um information you can get um from the internet from social media from instagram from facebook yeah. uh, and there's a lot of work that goes into compiling that um the particular things we've done on ground um in the countries we're currently present at we're currently present in 20 African countries, so we have users from 20 African countries on our platform. Um, but we do particular groundwork just to enter through communities, um, games that they play, understand what they do, curate mm-hmm. particular feedback from surveys, um, get a picture of what that market is, because Nigeria, as much as Ghana and Nigeria are close, their interests mm-hmm. and the deeper interfaces are quite different. Yeah, um, much as South Africa and um, what's the closest uh, to South Africa? Is it Tanzania? Yeah, I think Tanzania is the closest to South Africa. Maybe what's the next? This what's the next? I'm not sure. Um, so as much as or Kenya and Uganda, as much as they're quite similar culturally and things like that, but yeah. they're still different when you look deeper into it. Um, so we've just created those systems to kind of understand what exactly mm-hmm. for particular markets what they want. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and before we move on, I mean, I have to just ask you from yeah. your perspective in terms of the, um, with the, sorry, the Google Black Founders Fund. Um, and let me just repeat, you just mentioned that you're in 20 countries now. You received, correct me if I'm wrong here, right? You received that fund 
last year. Um, and I think even at that time, Game was maybe a year or just a, under a year old, if maybe I'm wrong, in terms of the you got it? Yeah, exactly. That is phenomenal growth. And I think that is um, representative of the opportunities within the esports space. But just how important has that been, especially, let me say especially, you guys are much wiser than me, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but just how important has that been, uh, considering that, you know, access and funds to their further invest is a difficult thing to come across. So just how much has that been, you know, a boost to you and what you're able to do uh, as gamer? Um, so I think for any industry in the infancy stage, um, gets in someone, anyone, um, any company that's part of the FANG, so that's Facebook, Apple, mm. um, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, um, to be invested or interested in what you're doing is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and... For the African markets and for what we're doing, it was sort of validation. Um, mm. And I wouldn't say Google was the only validation. I think from once we started and existed, about five, six other companies like us sprouted up. Yeah. Um, so that, of course, shows the opportunity that exists in the market. I mean, there's 187 million gamers um, that's documented on the continent. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big pie. Um, the presence of Google coming and um, putting their money and putting their back in towards us, um, give us validation and of course assisted us in growing. Um, and I think it just pushes the right buttons for other investors and I'll be thinking of the African continent and what exactly is there when it comes to gaming um, and the esports ecosystem that, okay, there's something here, um, these guys, are doing something about it? Who are the yeah. other players um, yeah. that exist in this ecosystem? So yeah, that's yeah. um that's it basically. I think it's it's done a fantastic thing for not just for us, um, but for the industry as a whole. Um, because I think yeah. it opens more eyes, it opens more doors um, for all the other players and also the gamers in yeah, no. I love that. Um uh, it's amazing. A good friend of ours has always says that a rising tide raises all the boats. So if the level playing field, you know, continues to rise and everyone benefits. Um, and I love that. And that's what we're about, especially here at ASU. It's about talking about the opportunities and things that are happening that, you know, not just benefit the individuals, but how can we also benefit the wider uh, Pan-African sporting ecosystem? And you just mentioned a great example and case study. So, Ade, thank you so much. Uh, we'll definitely be back to talk in more detail, but it's, it's wonderful. I love hearing those kind of stories. Um, so, Shia, how are you? Can you hear me? Is everything going well? Um, yes. I mean, How are you, bro? Loud and Shia, I can hear you. Great. Um, so, in case anyone missed the beginning introduction, uh, Shia, has been in esports for a while, as we were discussing. Uh, by the moment, his role is with the African Esports Development Federation, an arm of the Global Esports Federation, and he's the uh, Secretary General. And so for a lot of people here, they may be thinking, okay, what is the actual, you know, we may have heard from a stakeholder or a rights holder in the esports ecosystem, but generally, you know, what's the framework within esports? How is it looking at? How does that look like? So I guess, Shire, from your perspective, um, how are uh, African Esports uh, Development Federation and Global Esports in general, how are they supporting the development 
and growth um, of esports. Um, thanks a lot, Gabriel, and um, a very good evening to the list to viewers and, of course, my co-panelists, Ade Nonyeka. Um, and yes, it's it's a privilege to have been in the space for about three years now. Um, short while, but massive impact based on association, and that's um, by virtue of being associated with the Global Esports Federation. Um, I started out leading uh, the, and I still lead the Lagos Esports Forum. Um, though the name Lagos, it's, it's a wholly private organization which um, I created alongside a couple of like minds um, in May 2020. Uh, that was at the height of the lockdown in COVID. Um, and that was based on, it was, it was purely a business move because at the time I was into sports media and marketing. Everything about sports had been grounded. No football, no basketball, nothing was happening in sports. But esports was thriving and um, there was an opportunity to tap into at that time. So we created the Lagos Esports Forum. Um, I was privileged to be started with the responsibility of um, taking the strategic lead as the CEO. And um, on and on, we, we came up with the objective. There were three major objectives for us, which was education, engagement and empowerment and everything we've done from that time till now has always been under those three pillars from the esports conversation which was an enlightenment uh, session where we've had speakers from across the world come on, on board and we've had people tune in from across africa especially i can talk about outside africa but i'm more concerned about africans who really really need this education to engagement which is in different tournaments we've done across the continent and um of course, empowerment, which comes from the price pool, which is a big deal amongst gamers on the continent and beyond price pool, which is opening them up to opportunities outside, you know, outside the continent, opportunities to relate with experienced personnel who can help them on how they can navigate and get better as gamers or as teams um, over that time. Now to, to the structural part. So in September 2020, we were um, uh, we're brought in as members of the GEF. Our application was accepted and we're granted membership of the Global Esports Federation uh, to represent Nigeria's interest. And that's because we know that Nigeria does not have a federation at the moment. Um, so we got in there and right about that time also, there was the call for a presenting partner for seven regions, including Sub-Saharan Africa for the World Connected series. And um, we put in for it and won the bid to the presenting partner. We did that on the Call of Duty mobile title, where we had 89 teams from 15 countries participate in it. And it was the biggest metrics across the seven regions because it put, pulled in about 20% of the metrics from viewership to the number of gamers. Because if you know Call of Duty mobile, an average number of uh, players per team is about six. Five will get to play, but there's always a reserve or two. So um, we have that number. And of course, the, the number of countries who were also able to get to be involved in this. All this uh, showed the Global Esports Federation that something is actually happening in Africa and something needs to be done to galvanize and, you know, uh, develop what was brewing in Africa. And um, just in September, which was about a year after we joined the GF. Uh, the Africa Esports Development Federation was set up in 2021, December, um, September, 
um, I was appointed as the Secretary General. The, pre the President is from Zimbabwe, uh, Tommy Sithole, that's his name, and he's also the Vice President of the GF and the board member. And over time, after the, the body was set up, what we've done in terms of development is to see how best the practitioners on the continent can actually scale what they're doing. So most of the countries, just like we have in Nigeria, are private organizations. There are very few government-backed federations, associations, or bodies across the continent. So what we're mm -hmm. doing also is to see how, because at the end of the day, we discovered that when these countries want to set up the federation, we've seen a few examples, including Nigeria, that the people who understand the game, and that's a literal word, the game, are not usually involved. It's usually about giving it to cronies or giving it to friends of the friend of the friend of somebody to lead esports, and they have practically no clue about what this is about. So what we are also trying to do is to ensure that there's a handshake that has. Yes, you can have your person there, but there's still the need to have that technical angle to read and someone will understand that's on one side. On the other side is education. Um, there are several initiatives that have been done by the GF and members have been given the opportunity to participate in it. The Global Esports Academy has just been launched in December in Istanbul during the Global Esports Games and members will get opportunity to take part in courses around getting better as gamers, running a, a professional organization, uh, um, running professional teams, and we know we can go on and on and on like that. Um, let me wrap up without saying too much with this question that um, one of our aim is to actually have a standalone uh, 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 tournament championship for Africa. And we've been able to achieve that with Southern Africa where we partnered uh, with the African Union uh, Sports Council, Region 5, and we had a tournament in Malawi in December. And that was uh, played on the eFootball and Street Fighter titles. And um, uh, we, we partnered with the youth games where we had gamers under 20 who came to participate. And one of the success stories of that event was having an 11-year-old boy win gold medal in Street Fighter. And we believe we can build on that going forward. Uh, there's Mozambique coming up in 2024. And there's still a lot more that we're working on. But as usual with the GF, we work at stealth mode until things are concretized and we make announcements. And a few other partnerships have been struck with, you know, stop regional bodies or regional bodies beyond Africa. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at uh, uh, doing, building on that to impact the ecosystem in Africa. That's great. That's really good. Um... Do you know what? Let me just reiterate, right? If anyone has any questions, please drop it in the comments because from what Shai said is, look, it's another example of the great work that's happening. I will definitely unpack that as well once we have a bit more round table. Um, but I want to move on to Anyeka. Anyeka, how are you? <laughs> Hi. Fine, thank you. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining. Pleasure. Always good to have some legal expert. Um, Shai was saying before he used to be a lawyer, but then he saw he saw the best way and did not actually become. And I'm envious of Shai. I want, <laughs> I want to do what Shai is doing. So. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just well, well, that's a talk like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks again. Um, look, let, let me get into it. Right from your perspective uh, within this whole esports and not just you know, sports in general as well. Um, mm -hmm. How has, 
from your perspective as a lawyer, maybe um, on the supply side of things and dealing with parties and stakeholders who are coming in and out or maybe want to get involved, um, how has the market grown or developed um, from your understanding in terms of maybe a bit more light and knowledge being shined on esports and the opportunities in, in sports entertainment? I mean, the market has definitely grown um, much more than what it was, you know, a few years ago, even last year. So, I mean, it's definitely growing on a, uh, mm. it's consistently growing, right? So a little background on myself, really. So um, I'm a lawyer, as my title implies. Um, I Part of what I do is work in the sports and entertainment um, um, field. So I advise, I work with um, BC sport firms, with athletes, with entertainers, with um companies looking to invest in the space, whether it's, you know, by sponsoring an athlete or by, you know, developing infrastructure in the space to make it better. Even tech companies, I currently work with a number of, you know, um, esports tech companies out of uh, Asia, Malaysia, countries, Dubai, even, you know, cons consistently, you know, shining that light on Africa, wanting to work with, you know, a number of esports, you know, um, outfits on the continent in Senegal, in Nigeria, and interestingly, South Africa being like one of the I would say biggest esports markets coming out of Africa right now. Um, so the market is is expanding. Um, it's unfortunately growing faster than you know the African continent is tapping into. Um, mm -hmm. There are significant interests, but I think uh, and I don't know and I know we're going to touch on it as we as we go forward. But you know there's sort of sort of a number of things sort of holding um, the growth as far as Africa is concerned back. A lot of things preventing um, you know adequate investments and. Being a lawyer, I'll just touch on it briefly, which is again, laws and regulations, always a big part mm -hmm. of investment. If the laws are not right, if the regulatory framework is not right, if it's not clear, if it's delaying transactions, there will be no investments. It's just, it's actually just as easy as that, right? And that's one some, something you find. Um, for example, I was doing some esports work with a client in Nigeria, and it was just difficult to pinpoint, you know, who is the regulatory agency? Who do we go to to get the license for X? Or why and then you go to these people and they don't even know you're trying to explain this is what i'm trying to do lawyer to lawyer or lawyer to regulator i'm trying to explain to you in the simplest terms what this esport company is trying to achieve and they keep sort of conflating it with betting or gaming or telco and you're like it's not it's i can see the misconception but it's not mm -hmm. the same thing right so that that for me has been a a very prevalent issue, and not just Nigeria, to be honest. I, I point out Nigeria because all of us at this call, all the panelists are Nigerians, and I feel like we face that. But even working here in South Africa, there is no esports regula regulation or law. It's pretty much captured on that broad, broad terms under the Betting and Gaming Act or something like that, right? So you, you still face pretty much the same um, hiccups if you are trying to do the same things for Africa or Egypt, everywhere. I think, I mean, the Asians have sort of I mean, the market is thriving. So with, and you know, laws adapt to the market, to be mm -hmm. honest. So with the growth in the market, the law, the lawmakers start to see, oh, this is an area um, where there's commercial value, where there's benefit for them and for the people where we can, you know, do the right thing. And so they adapt to it. So the Asian market, for example, somewhere like Korea has a beautiful, uh, adequate, is for specific regulation. So there's no confusion with betting or gaming or whatever as to if you're, if you're trying to get a license, you know that there's an esports regulation that you just need to go to and you know get the requirements to do whatever it is you want to do. Um, uh, the ethics, the uh, you know integrity measures, everything is pretty much set out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so we are having that sort of deficit on the continent. I know that it would we would eventually get to the point where you know that needs to happen. I think that's what something like the G G E F and uh, 
Shayo and his team are we trying to do. Uh, he spoke about working with government, which is very important because for it's it's, it's still a, for me and I, people are going to disagree. Esports is a sport. It's still a sport. It's not, you know, it's a sport. And you, the, you cannot, for example, grow a sport in a country or even in the world without working with, you know, government regulators or authorities. There has to be some, some centralization of it, mm -hmm. right? If you keep it decentralized, then it becomes, you know, you don't know who's the regulator. There's one body today that says, okay, we have most members, so we, we tell you what to do. Before the next day, there'll be another body saying, you know, we we're the ones who, you know, who set the guidelines on how to how the players must behave, how everyone, yeah. you know, behave. So for sports generally, there has to be like a centralized regulatory authority, even in from a local level and from a global level. Yeah. And I think that's where we're heading. And I know that with the um significant interest in the sports, with the growth in revenue, and we cannot discount discount that as the mm -hmm. revenue grows, all eyes. I mean, already you can see that the market is expanding. Uh, Game R is here. <laughs> they know they are, they're making the coins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the market is expanding. All eyes are on the industry. We then need to make sure that, you know, the regulation, the regulatory framework, the, the you know, the requirements, all of that, the um, guidelines on player behavior or, or yeah. all the participants in the industry have been uh, were able to regulate them in the way that we can you know measure and say you know you're not behaving according to standards so you maybe you'll be fine but things like that to make sure that we maintain sports integrity that's very important yeah. for the sporting industry if there's not integrity in the sports then the entire sports just loses value i would say yes yeah fully agree um and I, and again i really appreciate your comments there because from what we've gathered so far, you know, esports is still, still in, in its infancy. We do have organizations in place, but it seems like there's a lot more work that can be done in terms of the framework. So, Onyeka, as you mentioned, in terms of regulatory, right, like esports is a sport. There are athletes, we have organizations with competitions, and these athletes are uh, generating revenue. So, we need to have things in place to help safeguard them, etc. But also, on the other end, we need a framework on policies in place to help, you know, entice investment um, and help, and I guess ensure the uh, esports industry uh, keeps up with um, the global rate in which that industry is moving in. Sorry, go on, Yaka. I think like keep keeps up with like sporting standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna throw out a question. Yeka, you started talking about it, but I guess for maybe Shai or Ade to uh, jump in as well. Um, so what current, if you can pinpoint, any current policies from a government governmental perspective uh, that are maybe holding back the esports industry? I know, Yeka, you maybe touched on it, maybe the lack of maybe regulatory and things like that, but is there anything else you feel that's maybe holding it back from a um, policy perspective? Um, you want me to jump on that? Go for sure. Okay, so so I'd say it's 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 like Oyeka mentioned. It's um, the mistake of thinking esports is gaming. And when I say gaming, I'm talking casino betting, sports betting, eye gaming, and all that. It's yeah. been uh, mistaken for it, and that's that's a huge uh, misconception that's um, affecting government's understanding of esports but the moment they're able to understand it as a sport then i think we'll be able to banish that um, challenge because really that's that's the big concern um, um even though it's not the subject here like gamer i also 
you know, have a, a mobile platform, um, which I'm sure you know about, uh, Gabriel. And um, mm -hmm. it's a big problem to put it out there. I'm sure um, RD can, can testify to it. And, and now that they know that they've got some bit of funding, they're, they're definitely coming for them. <laughs> the lotteries board and the likes, you know. So, so that's the concern. You don't need to come for these organizations who are doing this or who have these yeah. platforms because at the moment there is no law. What you should do is sit with them and see how they can impact the ecosystem, impact the space, whether the country or the state where they're operating from, and um, see how it can be mutually beneficial uh, uh, deliberation and, and relationship. That's a side. Yeah. So that's the problem. So there's a sports commissioner, a sports minister who is thinking, oh, I can't do this thing. It's a gambling. Mm -hmm. And it is not gambling. It is a yeah. game of skill, not a game of chance. Yeah. It's totally different. This is a game of skill. It's how well I can coordinate here with my hands that gives yeah. me the results. I'm not banking on someone scoring a goal or, or hoping that someone gets the first throw in or the first corner kick. That's a game of chance. This is my skill at work, just like that footballer, like that basketballer, like that swimmer, like that athlete who's on the track, track and field. So it's it's two different things. And the moment we're able to to understand that thin line, break that barrier, yeah. and I'm sure we'll scale esports as a sport and, and as it should be. I love that. I love that. Ade, go on, follow on. Yeah, I think I would like to add to what Shaya said, because I think asking... um. What policies do we have on ground? I think the biggest problem is the lack of. Um, it's not the current because I mean there is really there's literally nothing. There mm -hmm. is nothing as it pertains to esports. That's the biggest struggle um, we have found. So it's the lack of policies, and I think Shayan and Nika have really spoken on it. There is a lack of a single body that we know this is what the rules are and what we need to work with. Um, and it's it's very it's very telling. Um, there is um, we successfully got Nigeria um, enrolled for the first time ever um, to the FIFA E um, Nation Series, um, and we faced a lot of challenges um, trying to um, engineer that conversation because we had to deal with the NFF and the Nigerian Esports Federation. Um, so there was a lot of back and forth, really understanding what it is. But I think. The biggest thing here is ensuring that our sports commissions are ready to understand what is going on outside of the African continent. So how are things evolving when it comes to sports, the future of sports and the future of sports audience? Mm -hmm. um, because it tells a lot as to where we are going. Unfortunately for us, the viewerships for football and all the likes are not as high as they used to be. Why? So they need to start understanding these things. That's, that's why I talk about data and marketing. You need to understand yeah. these trends and understand that, okay, where is the world sort of going? And just be open to understanding what is going on in Korea, what is going on in the US, what is going on in Japan, what is going on in Brazil, um, yeah. which are all fantastic markets for esports. And I think they have the best, I'm like, I mean, Onyeka has also mentioned, the best regulatory bodies in place um, yeah. in this particular market. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, even uh, sorry, go on, Yaka. go for it. No, I just wanted to just every. I mean, everybody has put it perfectly, and I and I, and I just wanted to just 
just point out one thing, and I think that's one of the mandates of the G GF and the AEDF as well, which is like educating um, yeah. people on esports. And I think that our um, I know they wouldn't go for it. <laughs> you can make it happen, but I think our lawmakers, our regulators, or the guys in government would really benefit from that um, education process. Just give them, you know, the breakdown on what this is and how and how we they can, you know, create laws, you know, to regulate that industry. Because as I said, the industry is 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 valuable. And what would happen is they would see the value and just and Shaggy mentioned they would pounce on it for lack of a better word because now the 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 regulatory requirements or tax even tax requirements for a lottery company in nigeria cannot be the same for an esports company it just it really it, it doesn't make sense <laughs> but because they see some amount of money coming into esports on the continent they would try to sort of interpret them as the same and then chart impose the same you know requirements financial requirements taxes on an esport company on an industry that's not to be honest as advanced as a lottery company and also you know like i mean lottery is saying it's a money machine yeah. it's not the same thing and then you tax them the same amount and then you impose the same requirements and it's not it's not supposed to be and then that is a recipe to kill the industry even before it starts because mm -hmm. the company can thrive i mean the industry is growing i can we can see it, but if you don't give it the right regulatory environment to thrive to the point where it's really big it's as big as it should get you choke it before it gets there and you know who suffers then is this the nigerians it's a nigerian businessman it's a nigerian esport athlete it's a nigerian caster it's a nigerian like then you can't stop compete favorably you can't do anything and then you know that would affect you know the business environment and even the growth of the sport so everybody has said it but it's very important at that that point you know that is that we as a group or individually try to do something about mm -hmm. it i know the AF working on it and you know i commend them for the good work that they're doing do you know a follow-up question um that Dev has asked. Great question. So he has said, why is the lack of local legislation of importance when the licenses to run tournaments are required from the developer or publishers directly? So where would the local legislation add value in this chain? That's a very good question, Dev. And Yeka, your thoughts on that? You know, I'm going to let my more technical so so my yeah. thoughts my thoughts on the question would be can you guys hear me yes we can hear you okay so my thought my thoughts on the question would be um from the business side not necessarily about using the titles which is a whole different ballgame and um, thanks to Oyeka for for continuously mentioning that we 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 are solving that challenge because it's work in progress. Yes, the GF has done something, for example, with the Commonwealth Games. We had the Global Esports Games, two editions of that. We're having we did something in Malawi, like I mentioned earlier on. We're having something with the European Games in Poland in uh, June. Um, we're having something in Chile by October uh, with the Panami Panam Sports. Um, so, like we have the AEDF in Africa, there's the Panam Esports Development Federation also, uh, who are doing something with the with uh, the Panam body in uh, um, in in the Americas, and we did something in Paraguay in South for Southern America for South America um, um, last year. So all that is work in progress. What we like to say is that we're not legislating esports; we say we're a conveying body. 
So we're not a governing body for esports. We'd rather convey, and that's why everything we've done is just to convey. And what do you do when you convey? You bring people together, and all you all we lace that with is that what we're doing has credibility, it has legitimacy, and of course, it gives an opportunity for everyone to to participate. Inclusion is right there, which is one of our values. And of course, um, there, there's equality and diversity and fair play, which are some of our values also. So um, it's not, yes, the rights to the titles. And that's why the GF, for example, has a partnership in place with Konami. That's why most, in fact, all that we've done has been around eFootball. We have something in place with Capcom. That's why we're using the Street Fighter title amongst all the fighting games. And, you know, Tencent is a global partner, which means we have access to some of those top games. So the publishers would always play their part, but it's not the publishers that would tell you would run as a business. So that's why Gamer, Lagos Esports Forum, Mobile, whatever other platform that are running businesses in Nigeria or in every any other African country will still need to abide by the laws of those countries to run as a business. The place of the publishers is a different ball game entirely, and that will be sorted when you feel the order of, of of running a business in that country, because that's a different ball game when you talk about uh, using the titles and, and and whatever other things you can do with them. I hope that answers the question. I also would like to add. Okay. Yeah, I also would like to add. I think the important thing here is the scale. Um, so the scale of the tournament you're doing, um, for the most part. You can play a tournament with your friend, for example, on Gamer, and put $100, $500. It's literally yeah. nothing. Um, when you look at it on the, on the side of the publishers, um, because for the publishers, it's a particular um, monetary value they attach. Um, if you're running a tournament over, like, maybe, I think for FIFA, it's about 15000 or 20000 per... Call of Duty Mobile is about 10000 Exactly. So for yeah. each particular game, there was a particular license or a particular quota you're not allowed to put or prize money over. Um, and I think Shai has perfectly answered the question as to why we need some sort of local guidance so that in these situations where we just know that we're safe doing this sort of business. Yeah. Um, and I think the additional thing to that is a local governing body gives a certain um, sense of importance to what it is you're doing. Um, for example, you can say before crypto got into the Nigerian market or something, until the central bank recognized it, if they recognized that, it builds a market value. The audience would want to be interested. If you mm -hmm. can trust this particular new thing that's coming to the market, the same thing applies for esports. You need that sort of governing body to be like, okay, I endorse this as a sport. I mean, the interest in esports will skyrocket in that sense. And particularly even thinking about the aspect of where we start to look for national representatives in particular games for the country. It's very important that we have somebody that is responsible um, and has given the go ahead that, okay, yes, there was, I don't know, maybe for example, Nigerian esports. Um, federation or something like that. and NESF, something like that. I do not, <laughs> but that's like the thinking, just like the way there's the NFF, um, there's the NOC, for example. So, but for each, um, for the Olympics, there's a governing body for football, there's a governing body for basketball, there's a governing body. So, it's important that we also have that when it comes to esports. Yeah. So, I just thought to, to add that. And 
that is that and thank you guys for i just that's exactly that was exactly my thought really because as we've all said here on this on this, um, this meeting or this sorry this I don't know what to call it. The esports is actually sports, right? It's not just people picking up pads to play um, Call of Duty or to play FIFA on their on their on their on their consoles, right? It's a sport, and for sports, if you let sports run amok, there will be chaos. Imagine if we couldn't mm -hmm. regulate who could dope. Imagine imagine people could dope and play tennis or run. It would be it would be completely ridiculous, right? People could do anything. You could cheat. You could. Um, you know, do whatever you wanted to do, and there will be no regulation to sort of curtail bad behavior, yeah. right? So for me, the, the role of the publishers, developers, that it's very important to esports. Of course, they're they're a fundamental part of the entire thing, but they don't regulate per se how the players or how we, you know, in the industry should behave. They're more commercial, if you may, right? Mm -hmm. But they um a centralized regulation or regulatory body or even a local one, you know, sort of regulating how the players behave, how the casters behave, how, you know, the, the, the companies or the businesses um, running these tournaments must run them so there's no, so that there's, there's integrity, so that players are not taken advantage of, so that the right investments are put in, you know, so that things like that are put in place so you can measure, there's a there's measurable value. You can see that if you do this, you're, you're, you're misbehaving and so you can't, you're fined or you're banned completely um, from the industry. And so that is why we need that, you know, either a centralized body or, lo or a local body, however you want to see it, or just a regulatory agency like FIFA or like the World Tennis Association, you know, yeah. make sure that we behave <laughs> as we should, you know, humans, if, if there are no laws, you know how humans are. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Um, I want to slightly, thank you everyone for the question. There's so, there's so many, um, I'm just conscious of time, but I do want to ask, I might put these two questions together. So, and this, some may say this is quite naive, but you know, currently in South Africa, there's issues with load shedding, right? In Nigeria, if you haven't heard of it before, NEPA, electricity cuts out often, right? So what are some of the uh, unique challenges uh, that African gamers face? Um, yeah, just answer that one first, and I'll go to um, Ade regarding that. So, the challenges that African gamers face, oof, there's a plethora of, <laughs> I think there's so many. Um, I think um, Oneka also mentioned something at the start of the, um, of the conversation. The first thing really is just, and which is the base as infrastructure. Um, mm -hmm. For the most part, um, what, we, what we have tried to do with Gamer is to ensure that every single um, gamer is connected to gamers outside yeah. their own little space. Um, so I could be a gamer in um, Ikeja now, um, Lagos. I can play a tournament online, a competition online in, let's say, Bahamas, for example, and I can earn $1,000 doing that. Mm. In the real sense of things, when that opportunity presents itself, the gamer always in Africa is always shortchanged. Um, and why is that? We have the internet latency issues. Um, so for the first thing, in terms of infrastructure, that's one of the biggest problems um, gamers face here. I think it's the biggest complaint. Um, yeah. So I don't know if there's any service provider listening in. Please. <laughs> <laughs> we gamers, um, we need a sort of um, assistance. I think we're working as well with um, internet providers just to see 
the best bundles and the best ways in terms of developing um, servers on this side um, of the of the of the continent because I know there's a there's a server uh, Gable has dropped off. I'm keeping talking. Um, there's a server in Southern Africa, um, mm -hmm. and for the most part, gamers in Nigeria and Ghana um, and Western Sub-Saharan Africa are usually connect to that when it comes to FIFA. Um, but we largely require more of these servers across the continent to make our gamers gaming experiences better um to make connectivity better amongst the world because as we say we're building for not just the african continent but for connecting gamers across the world on a single platform um that's one thing um the other side of things would be in terms of access as well um so when i mean access i'm talking about um the console side of things so like the price ranges for particular games not just the games the consoles and the mediums of which they play these games um fantastically for the african markets um and i think the indian market and also the, I mean, the asian market as a whole mobile gaming has grown and has been another entry point yeah. um for gamers um to find a way to engage with gaming and also earn doing that um, but a little survey we did, um, we found out that, um, you know, like gaming reports for the year, we found out that a lot of these gamers actually want to own a console. <laughs> but the problem is they cannot afford it. Um, so what exactly can we start to do? Um, maybe, I don't know, we create our own sort of console for the African continent that is price sensitive to our own earning capacity. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry, what did you say? No, I'm agreeing with you. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so that that's um, that's adjustable for our own um, price um, range, mm. I would say. Um, so for the most part, infrastructure and that curtails. I mean, it contains electricity. It contains the servers and internet issues um, for the access bits. I'm referring to like access to um, tools and facilities to be able to enable gamers to play at their best levels. Um, and I think also, lastly, what I would say is the lack, we've already spoken to it, um, is the access to sort of investment and the readiness for the market to be able to develop more game hubs, more game teaching centers. Um, the opportunity for that hasn't been fully explored as of yet, um, but gamers here are fully ready to adopt that. They can see it happening in the US, they can see it happening in Korea. Um, you can see probably you have like maybe one gaming hub that's meant to suit the need of like 2 million gamers. It's going to be very impossible. But that's what we currently mm -hmm. are seeing. Um, like in Lagos now, you probably see like um, probably 10, maybe 10, 5 great quality gaming hubs. Um, in Ghana, I think it's about two or three like great quality gaming hubs. Um, and you're looking about four. 20 million people for 200 million mm. people how does that necessarily work um so there's a lot of work as well that we need um in that system because that's like the channel you can see it as your universities or your schools um as you are churning out or you can look let's look at like the barcelona or football system they have academies to churn out these star players yeah so how do we have facilities to be able to churn out the best um, gamers from our own ecosystem. So yeah, um, those three things would be the major challenges I think um, gamers face. Shaya, you got anything else you want to add add to that?
Um, I think uh, they practically touched on touched on everything. To be sincere, he touched on everything. The other thing I would have talked about is the giving up thing. And um, for me, I think we need to move the gaming up from the gaming center mindset to actually creating a proper hub. So if you're talking proper hub, it's beyond just coming to play games. It's, it's the place where you can learn the support services around the games. So we're talking about even game development. Um, we were privileged to um, have a partnership that's legal was from with HP for the gaming garage. Um, which was set up in Dubai, but um, things moved online. The plan was to set up across the continent and we're still having talks around that, uh, but it was moved online because of COVID. And um, the gaming garage had, you know, top range system. So so that's another challenge. The gamers can't buy this console, but can we create a place where they can come to and have access to the consoles and the best gaming PCs? Africa is disadvantaged in PC games. The Dota's, the League of Legends, which are the big money spinners in the world. That <laughs> is laughing. Those are the big money spinners in the world. Dota International is $40 million in prize money. Wow. League of Legends is massive money. So when people are saying FIFA, FIFA is just $250,000. Really. So um, there are money spinners in the PC titles, which Africa is disadvantaged because we don't have access to it. Most of the times, what you have access to is the console, which is either a PlayStation or the Xbox. But there are PC games also, and we can actually earn our skills and grow, develop skills and talents in these things because, you know, we're fast learners and on the continent. If we have access to them, we would learn faster. We would actually be playing with the big boys on the international stage. I love that. Yeah. Ayaka? No, they've, they've both said it all, really. Um, but, you know, I've, I've discussed this before numerous times, and my mind is very problem-solving. So I know that most of our, our gamers here have played the, the games on their phones, and I did mention the console is expensive, even PCs. I've never played any... I've never gamed on my computer before, or a, a console yet, but not on my computer. So my phone is the easiest go-to place. So I'm discussing with my friends, and we're thinking, is there any phone company you know, that might be willing to make, and this is just problem solving. This is not even, the problems are there. We know what they are, right? Are there any phone companies that might be in the nearest future be able to tap into that market and create just game only phone type phones for the, for, you know, gamers, or even just, you know, just game only pieces or that might be beneficial to, um, you know, gamers on the continent, around the world, not just Africans really. Um, and that's something that I hope that somebody, you know, a phone company or a, a, a you know, tech companies looking into and on the hub mm-hmm. that was mentioned um i completely agree there's a whole value chain um in in, in esports right people just look at it as just for the for the players themselves but there are so many you know aspects of it i think that you know when it when it booms i as a lawyer can even benefit as a lawyer as an esports lawyer so that's even one aspect of it that you know people can tap into so the hub people think of the hub as just a place um you know where people can come and just play games and to be honest, even some of the clients of advice, there's a Dubai company looking to do something like that in Senegal, and you know they were very excited about it. But it was mainly just a hub for the players. There was no, um, they didn't not, well at the time didn't cater to the different aspects of you know esports. And 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 Ashaya briefly just mentioned that um, you know we can sort of build the ecosystem yeah. better if all these hubs you know think or. In development stage sort of think of the different um aspects of the value chain and also cater to them as they build this home mm. okay this is great i'm loving this um but i'm really conscious of time so i'm going to ask one more question 
to everyone. I know time's gone so quick, hasn't it? It's gone so quick. Almost an hour already. <laughs> um, I still have more <laughs> Amen. As you can tell, it was getting very dark here, so I had to switch off and switch on my light. So that's why I disappeared to our day, but I didn't go anywhere. No connectivity issues. Um, but one final question uh, for everyone. Um, look, it's undeniable, right? The continual growth in technology um, within sports in general. And I guess from that perspective uh, regarding esports, how do you see the future um, of esports looking like moving forward? Uh, let's start with this goal with Shia and Yaka, the future of Ade. All right. Um, thanks, um, Gabriel. The future of esports um, is is actually going to go the federation route if it's going to scale. Let's be sincere with ourselves. And um, I stand at a very um, delicate point, if I can say that, because. The, and the, the, what makes it delicate for me is my concern for my African bro brothers and sisters. I mentioned it at the start of this call that we would see federations being set up by countries on the continent, which may exclude the people who understand the game. And that's the concern. We've seen it happen with other sports. Who says esports will be immune? You see someone who has no clue about a particular sport as the federation president or federation, whatever titles that are given, it's just about titles for, for some people. So that's the concern for me. But but the truth is that's the that's the big picture. Because if at all, um, we would scale things, run leagues, and I think a country like Saudi Arabia stands at the forefront of that drive with the massive investment they're putting into it. So you would see that there's a federation. Royal Highness is there, is my chairman at the Education, Culture and Youth Commission of the Global Esports Federation. Royal Highness is the president. He also leads the Arab Esports Federation. But they are not just looking at the federation. They are also now making investments in game titles, in venues, esports venue, uh, uh, global venue uh, uh, organizations like VSPN. We had just last week $236 million invested. We've seen them invest in uh, ESL face it, tournament organizers. We've seen them invest in game titles, you know? So that's the big picture. That's where all this is going. And it will be good when it is done on this continent that we do it with the mindset of convening, not governing. For thinking of governing, then we would be holding people by the throat rather than convening where we should be holding them by the hands. That is the concern for me, but that's where this whole thing is going. Imagine when, if and when, it gets involved with the Olympics. We've seen it with the Commonwealth Games already. We've seen it with European Games, like I mentioned earlier, on Panam Games, something on African, you know, African uh, uh, youth games in the Southern African region already. So it's on a large scale. The global sport game as a standalone is started in Singapore in 2021. Last year was massive in Istanbul, Turkey. You can imagine what would happen in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia in December 2023. So that's where it's going to. But I'm concerned for my continent. I'm concerned for my country. We know what happened. I don't know how much of it Ade knows or Oyeka knows what happened 
when the move was made to set up a federation in, in, in 2020, all the drama and the shenanigans. So if we can banish that and people think beyond titles and bring their expert expertise to bear, then we would actually scale this and, and, and do better for our young people across the continent. Mm. Great person. Thank you, Shara. Um, Ayeka, how about you? How do you see the future of esports moving forward? Uh, very well said, Shaya, really. Um, I, you know, the best case scenario, really, the industry would be magnificent, for lack of a better word. Um, it has the potential to be a, a, a great sport for young people. And Africans especially have the potential to actually thrive in these sports, barring all the, you know, infrastructure, infrastructure deficit that, you know, we all mentioned on the school, barring all the, um, you know, everything Shaya mentioned as well, you know, people just trying to, you know, usurp the industry or just you know for personal gain or for industry or title gain if everything you know is in place everything goes as it should go as we want it to go the sky is the limit for the industry it's going to be a you know great industry for young people it's going to bring in a lot of revenue for young people it's going to be very beneficial to the ecosystem in terms of learning training education just being able to in fact it's going to be another source of job opportunity from lots of people mm -hmm young people right so the benefits are, are really unending all things being equal um but again like like i mentioned there are a lot of concerns there are a lot of things that need to be in place to make that happen a lot of changing mindsets that need to happen you know move things from point a to point b a lot of education a lot of like hands on deck you know and i, and I know that a number of us are trying um I mean, people on this call are very involved in the in the industry, and I'm sure they're doing the best they can to make sure that we don't end up, you know, in the worst case scenario um, level, and to make sure that, of course, as as usually happens, Africa is not left behind because this is an industry that we can see is developing, and there are things that young bright people like us are saying, oh, we need to do this and this and this to get us to here, and the people holding us back, and then the industry is moving without us, and you know, it's developing, it's advancing, and then as usually happens, we just play catch up. And then we're lost somewhere, you know, in limbo. And hopefully that doesn't happen because I think we're watching it unfold in real time. We've been a part of it as in, it's unfolding in our lifetime. So I don't, ex I hope that, you know, we're able to get the people that, you know, that need to do things to move it, um, to, to listen, to understand, to get educated, to take the right advice, to bring in the right people. As, as Shaya mentioned, not just people for the title, people that actually understand the industry and know what mm -hmm. to do you know, seek the advice, you know, work together and, you know, get us to the point that we need to get to. If that happens, the future of the industry, I'm going to quit law and, <laughs> and be a gamer full time. <laughs> I can promise you. <laughs> Wonderful. Wow. I can't wait to find out what team you're joining. Um, Ade, how about yourself? Um, I think um, I would go a different route um, from what Shayo and Yinka have done. Um, I think they've covered that bit. Um, what I like to, with a bit I always like to add to that conversation and the information they've given is the games themselves. Um, so I like to ensure esports cannot exist without the games, um, the games that are being played. Um, so I'm always particular, or we a gamer are always particular about, because like I say, we are tracking what are people playing, what do they want to engage with. Um, that evolution of gaming and the evolution of content consumption. Um, because gaming in itself, it's consuming content. Um, mm -hmm. So as we see it now, um, I think we've, we've all gone through Web 1, 
of all of us on the call, I think we're pretty much millennial. Yeah, but millennial, not too much Gen Z. So yeah, we've all gone through <laughs> Web 1, Web 2, and the transition into Web 3. Um, mm. So that understanding, I don't know what it looks like now, which is why it's the future, right? Um, so what exactly would esports look like when we transition into Web 3? That's the conversations that we are having and we're trying to understand. Um, so what exactly is esports going to look like? What games are people going to be playing? What kind of games are going to be developed? Um, so we do not have the answers, but that's how I think of what the future of esports would be. I think about it from the game's perspective because I think conversations on creating the bodies and the likes are already had. We know that that is important. Um, but on the mediums, on the content exactly that people are consuming, how mm. is that going to change? Um, how are people going to interact? I think we already see that P2P engagement and conversations and ownership of my data, of my playing, of the games I play, of the time I'm spending on playing a game. Am I earning for the time I'm playing? So which is the whole P2E conversation. What exactly is happening with that? That is where I feel there might be something um, Maybe no one has thought of it, no one has tapped into it in the esports space and even the developers themselves. Um, but that's a transition that uh, I feel the world will go into just as a result, because I don't try to separate um, cultural shifts from technology advancements of the future. I think the way we are evolving as a people to want to own everything we do and own every single aspect of it. I want to know what is happening with my time. I want to know what's happening with my data. Um, that transition as well into the Web3, we also need to be conscious about how that would affect esports um, as in its current existence, because I mean, esports for the most part is on a Web2 interface, if we think about it. So yeah, that's what I was just gonna add. Wonderful. Um... There's just so many more questions to be honest with you. As everyone's talking, and there's more questions popping up in my head, but we'll have to stick to time because people have things to do. <laughs> um, but thank you so much again to Shaya, um, Anyeka, and Adi. Really, really appreciate your time, your input, your knowledge, your insight. I mean, it's a privilege to hear from actually the heart of esports and what's actually happening. Um, so thank you once again to everyone who has joined. Thank you so much. Please feel free to connect with all of our panelists and speakers. Um, if you want to pick their brains on things, please reach out to them. You've got their name, you see where they work. Obviously, don't harass them. Just hit them up on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, I'm sure they'll be more than willing to, to respond to you. But thank you so much. Um, it's been a great panel. We'll definitely do more around esports. Just, just a few minutes, um, Gabriel. Sorry. Gotcha. So, so, Go for it. Yeah. So for Ari, um, Ari Finder, I believe. I hope I'm right. Says what country has exemplary regulatory environment? Um, think Saudi Arabia. Think Malaysia. So you know the interesting thing about Malaysia is in their budgets. So Saudi Arabia is on a different role because they have the funds and they have the expertise. Malaysia. Mm. The interesting thing about Malaysia is in their budget since 2019, I believe they've been inserting esports, an, an element of esports in the budget. And they allocate, altogether, they've allocated close to about $20 million over the last four years. 
you know so um so look at those two countries and and it actually paid off last year at the commonwealth esports championships in birmingham because malaysia won that with uh two i think two or three gold medals from the four titles that were played four titles in six categories so there were six gold medals at stake they won three yeah they won three gold medals at that uh, tournament so that's investment paying off just like we say for every other sport you invest well in football we don't have a you know a vibrant league in nigeria it's telling on our performance in chan we didn't even qualify so we can say that for all the sports also so there are many things like that so an investment in esports is paying off for malaysia because we saw the fruits and and the rewards for them so um those two countries busola has a plethora of questions busola Kundayo, if she can connect with me i could answer some of them i know we're done on this call but um, very very good questions she's asked trust me the the global esports federation has got big plans for the continent um uh, lots of work being done and um, lots of, we're seeing the impact. For example, I can talk about what's happening in Zambia. So Zambia before now was just a private person and a lady, you know, was at the forefront of things, but we've been able to help with the establishment of a federation in Zambia that has one a person who has a sports background and this lady was an esports background coming together uh, to run the federation for the country. And trust me, there are good things that would be benefit from there. And so many other countries also like that, that we're working with. And um, we can only hope for the best in coming years. Thanks, Shaya. Again, as he said, please do connect uh, with him uh, if you have any more questions. But even as Harry just mentioned, there are so many similarities with different sports, you know. And I think we can't get away from the key stakeholders, governance, the commercialization and the sport itself. And if we have those three uh, strong pillars function all together and on the same page, then it will benefit everyone in terms of the opportunities. Um, but thank you so much, everyone. Um, I know our panelists have to go. I appreciate your time. And hopefully you join us on our next one on Thursday where we're talking about um, an app, a platform that helps with uh, player acquisition, agreement and data collection. So thank you, everyone, and uh, take care. Thank you. Ciao. Thank you. Bye, guys.